Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, along with my co-host, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. Our guest today will be Daniel Turner, who is the executive director for Powering the Future. It's an interview that you won't want to miss. But first, let me tell you about TEEKS, Texas Energy Advocates Coalition's upcoming mixer that is set for June 24th at the beautiful Fogo de Chao on the San Antonio Riverwalk. There will be lots of people attending from up, mid, and downstream They'll also have great door prizes, lots of yummy food, and of course, plenty of cocktails and drinks. This will be a sold out event. Get your tickets now. For sponsorship and ticket, please go to shellmag.com. Click on the banner ad, a Fogo de Chao, and you can purchase your tickets or sponsor the event right there. I'd also like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine, the cover was Moda Midstream, one of the largest midstream companies in North America. It turns out they're a very interesting company. They have three different executives that own and run that company. And Shell Magazine was able to catch up with them and get the scoop on all that they're up to and the growth that they are having is phenomenal. Definitely a story that you do want to read up on. For more information, go to shellmag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E. MAG.com. Again, that's S H A L E M A G.com. Read all about Moda. Buy yourself a ticket for the Fogo the Chow event in San Antonio, and I will see you there. And now it's time to welcome on my co host, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It sure is, and boy, it is a hot one. Let's talk about uh, we've had another big week for oil prices with WTI rising above 72 for the first time in 32 months on Tuesday. Yep. Do you think that we're getting near the peak? And does this rally still have some ways to go? Because a couple of shows back, we discussed Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. uh, thinking that we might get to over 80 by what, the end of summer. So yep. is this where we're heading? Oh, yes, I think we are definitely. Um, I don't really see... You know, we had a pullback in the price later in the week uh, temporarily because the market predictably overreacted to uh, the Fed saying it might start raising interest rates in 2023 for crying out loud. I mean, dear oil investors, if you're making bets on oil prices based on an assumption the Fed will never raise interest rates again, you are in the wrong business. Stop it. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, no, it's going to keep going up. That was a blip. And, um, and there's, because there's just no reason for it not to, it's, it's, um, all the global factors, uh, right now anyway, are, uh, would, you know, a- agitate for higher prices and, uh, you know, unless we have another virus or something, you know, some major global shakeup like that, it's really hard to see how that changes. Right. Well, what do you say, to the critics that are going that are saying, well, is it going to go up to that hundred dollar mark? Remember, there had been a lot of that wild speculation. Yeah. 
you know, a year back. Some I've even heard 200. And I'm like, what? That's insane. <laughs> well, I, I have to say, I don't think 100 out of the question within the next 12 but months. 200? 200. Um, well, <laughs> look, <laughs> we have had we have had a shortage of what of investment in new oil and gas resources because of the radical environmentalists yeah. and, and, and their takeover right. of a lot of lot of these private equity companies. Right. Uh, we have had a shortfall of about three hundred and forty billion dollars in new investment since 2015 in our industry. And what that means is we are destined to have a shortage of crude oil on the market unless global demand collapses. Now, uh, you know, the radicals are trying to do everything they can to collapse global demand too, but they're not going to be successful in that because people need crude oil. Right. And, and it's just used for literally everything in our lives it involves crude oil. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, I have to tell you, within the next five years, I, I wouldn't rule out seeing $200 oil prices. Okay. And I've never, I've never said that before. Yeah, either. it's a new day. <laughs> I used to yeah. make fun of people who said that. Yeah, the, well, we, I know we were. So let's talk about Saudi Arabia, because they announced that they are raising their own oil production levels in July from 10 million barrels per day. That's an increase of about 1.5 million barrels. Yep. So is global demand really recovering this quickly? What's stirring uh, yeah. levels to increase? Right. No, I think it is. I think it definitely is. And, you know, we, you and I have been talking about this since last fall, um, you know, uh, just consistently telling our audience that demand was recovering faster than the, quote, experts were telling us it was at the, you know, International Energy Agency and in the Biden administration and all these, you know, experts that we're supposed to listen to have been poo-pooing this. But it has consistently risen faster than it was predicted to uh, over the past nine months. And yes, I, uh, Saudi Arabia is going to pump out an extra 1.5 million barrels a day starting in July. And the price isn't going to go down. It's going to go up because, you know, we have now uh, have a shortage of crude on the market already. And luckily OPEC plus has, you know, potential production capacity and reserve to meet that demand at least for the next year or so. Mm -hmm. uh, after that, uh, you know, we could really be in trouble where, where oil prices and the, of course, gasoline prices are concerned. Well, let's bring it back to the great state of Texas and uh, Governor Abbott told reporters on Wednesday that the Texas power grid was the best that it has ever been. <laughs> Uh, despite the fact, right, that ERCOT had issued warnings all last week about the lack of adequate generating capacity, meaning there's just not enough to keep everything on, given the craziness that we have seen and the grid this year and Snowgate in February, mm -hmm. what do you think Governor Abbott is trying to convey here? <laughs> uh, I, so what it appears to me, and it, and it's, it's like he and the Public Utilities Commission and the people at ERCOT and the leaders in the legislature have now all kind of come together and gotten behind a, a set of joint talking points okay. that are frankly not, don't reflect reality. Mm -hmm. And they're all going to be out there saying, oh, golly, you know, we fixed the grid during the regular session. And they didn't fix the grid during the regular session. 
Right. But that's apparently what the Republican strategy is going to be uh, in order to avoid having a special session to really try to fix the problems on the grid. And that's a very risky strategy. It, it you know, they're obviously hoping that ERCOT can somehow manage the grid through this summer, which my goodness, we're not even in summer yet. Okay. Right. And we're already having these warnings. What's going to happen in late July and the month of August and early September when it's really, really hot people sitting in the dark. With yeah. Noise. Yeah. And so I, I just think what's happened is they've just decided they're not going to call the special session that the governor promised us all. The governor promised us all he would call if the legislature didn't fix the issues on the grid. Mm-hmm. And he is breaking that promise. And we need to understand that and hold him accountable for it next year. If he has a viable, I've voted for Greg Abbott, you know, throughout his whole career. And, and I've always had a lot of respect for him. But I will tell you, I will not vote for him next year uh, if not something is not done to fix this grid. And nothing's been done that's going to fix the grid, folks. It just hasn't. Well, David, I thought, though, that we were going to go into a special session for the redistricting period. We are. Yeah, we are. We do. He can't just add this in there if there's enough pressure on the governor to add this in there. He could. Sure, he could. Uh, But it's, I think, given his rhetoric, you know, last week he said that everything that needed to be done to fix the grid was done during the session. Again, that's not really right, folks. I don't want to say it's completely false, but it's really not right. And, and so he's just decided he's not going to do that, that the Republicans, I'm sure the legislative leaders in the legislature don't want to have a special session on it because they've been out there saying they fixed everything when they really haven't. And, and so that's what we've got now. And I'm a Republican, I'm a lifetime Republican, and I'm very worried about the future of the Republican party. If we have a bunch of blackouts in August and September, and, and have a major winter storm again next year, uh, we could be looking at a blowout against them right. uh, in next year's election. So this is very concerning to me, and I'm just not going to be quiet about it. Right. Well, I mean, and I think that the fact that they don't understand that, you know, we are, at the end of the day, Texans, and we're going to hold them accountable in the sense we remember at the voting box. And even if it is another Republican that is running against them. And this is exactly what they're going to use against them. They were there, they didn't want to go back to work. And so therefore they just left this hanging. And now here we are all uh, without energy. Um, And you know, the most vulnerable, the elderly are going to be affected. We're going to see casualties. We're going to see loss of life. And it just didn't have to be that way. But- No, it didn't. We lost 200 souls uh, in February. Right. And so what will we lose this summer, especially in our vulnerable population, the elderly, because they opted not to uh, start really looking at it and fixing. They did. I, I want to be clear. They did do some bills and they did, they get did do some things. Yes. But they didn't complete the whole entire thing that they needed to to fix the problem once and for all. Well, David, that is all the time we have for this segment. But when we return, we will be joined by Daniel Turner, who is the executive director for Powering the Future. So don't go away. You're listening to In the Wolf Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. 
SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And now it's time to welcome on our guest, Daniel Turner, the Executive Director for Power for the Future. Um, Daniel, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And let me start by first tell us a little bit about what you do, your organization, kind of its mission before we really start getting into the interview and the discussion with you on Power of the Future. Sure. Well, great to be with you all. And thanks for having me. I started this organization uh, almost five years ago at this point. And I started because of a specific purpose. I noticed a huge disconnect between uh, Washington, D.C., where I was living, and I've lived for 20 years in, in the political space, in the public affairs space. I noticed a huge disconnect between that uh, community and the men and women in rural America in particular who work in the energy industry. And there were these huge power brokers and New York and San Francisco billionaires who were funding environmental groups. And there were all these people in DC, senators and congressmen who had no idea how the energy sector worked, yet they had all the power to make decisions about energy as a policy writ large, um, and particularly energy workers and their communities. And they would pass, as we're seeing now, fracking bans. They'd stop pipelines. They'd hold up uh, legislation to, to allow for mining, for fossil fuel development, et cetera. And, and the men and women in rural America, the, the energy workers, were the ones most affected and, and most powerless. And, and they, I felt like they needed a voice in Washington, DC. And so I started this organization to hopefully be their advocate and their voice um, and, and, and bring some of the sense of, of the energy space to uh, these power circles. And that's why I started the group many years ago. Dave and I um, talk about this a lot. It needs all of us um, to advocate and talk to every you know population out there about what is not really being told, which is usually the truth, mm -hmm. or there's a great <laughs> misunderstanding of things that are happening. And you are right. Uh, Washington, D.C. is definitely um, making decisions, and, and they really are not listening to the best science. Um, they're, always they're not uh, usually following what is in the best interest for the industry but more usually what is in the best interest interest for the lobbyist and the groups 
And of course, we always, I love to say, follow the money and it kind of tells you where their loyalty is lying. And of course, all these, uh, you know, nonprofits that are popping up that are getting funded and these funds are not coming from places that are inside the United States, but outside the United States. So good for you, what you're doing and and talking about it. So I want to jump into TC Energy. Um, The owner operator of the uncompleted Keystone Pipeline project that we all know was recently uh, through an executive order canceled by Biden. And so my question to you is, after that happened, TC Energy made the decision to just completely, you know, cancel the pipeline project. So t- talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on how did this happen and why? Because it's but this thing has been in, in the making for years and years. It was primarily almost completely finished. So how does a, you know, 75% project that's finished just get, you know, axed by an administration and yet... Um, there's also some crazy stuff with this that, you know, yet we have an approval for a rushing pipeline through the Biden administration to approve that. So let's talk about both of those things. Let's talk about first the TC yeah. energy. Yeah, it, it was devastating uh, to see this happen. I, I took a, a small film crew the same day this announcement was made, and I went to where the terminus would be about uh, outside of Houston, a couple hours outside of Houston, and, and talk to these energy workers, mostly welders, who were, who were building the pipeline. Um, I understand the, dis- the company's decision to pull the plug because uh, unlike a lot of other pipelines, this one crossed an international border. And for some bizarre reason, the United States president, uh, literally going back to the days of the telegraph, telegraph wires coming from Europe and the Grant administration. Uh, um, The president has uh, authority as to what enters uh, U.S. sovereign territory, um, normally done through the State Department. Go back to the years 2009, 10, 11, et cetera, when they kept saying the Obama State Department's given the green light. Well, it's because the State Department has had, by tradition, this this, uh, authority. There's a legislative fix I've met with a number of members of the Hill to say there's no law that says the president has this authority. It's just kind of happened by by tradition. Assert your authority, Congress, right? Why can't you decide uh, what is allowed to enter into to America? So I understand TC Energy pulling the plug saying, look, for four years, it's going to sit idle. What are we going to waste our resources doing? Um, but if I were doing anything that crossed the border, look at line three of Enbridge Pipeline up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I would be nervous. I'd be nervous about any infrastructure, really, with this administration, but particularly one that is coming from Canada or, or going into uh, Mexico. It's, well, it's yeah, devastating. And, and Daniel, you know, it's devastating, you know, from the standpoint, not just the canceled it, but, but this pipeline's already halfway complete. Yeah. The, the actual piece of the pipeline that goes across the border is in the ground and ready to operate, right? And so this, I mean, talk about how extraordinary it is for a president to just tell a company, yeah, you've invested X billion dollars, but I'm yeah. just going to come into office and cancel that for you. Yeah, exactly. And, and it really raises a concern of presidential abuse of power, right? I li- likened it in a number of interviews I've done with pulling the, the ANWR uh, uh, lease permits, yeah. In both of these cases, 
These are companies that did not enter into agreements with Donald Trump. They entered into agreements with the full faith and credit of the United States. They went through all the necessary legal hurdles, environmental hurdles. They went through all of the necessary compliance and got their permission. So it's shocking to think that a president has thinks he has that much power to retroactively deny uh, the full faith and credit of the United States government. And so it really is. If, if, it's if scary. Hey, we're going to have to go to a hard break here. I apologize. Uh, you're listening to In the All Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Bilotto, wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully. As a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio Cosmetic Surgery. I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me. Pick up the phone, call Cynthia, make an appointment and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me. So if you want a free consultation with Cynthia, give them a call at 210-641-4320. Again, the number is 210-614-4320. Or you can visit their website at sanantoniocosmeticsurgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim within the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Daniel Turner, who is the Executive Director for Powering the Future. Hey, Daniel. Uh, one of the things that is so irritating me about this Keystone episode. Uh, we're talking about Keystone XL. Um, and, you know, this has been a foot, political football for 10 years. It, the dishonesty of the opposition to this pipeline is, is, has been such a, a travesty, frankly, in the public debate. Yeah. One of the things that, that the opponents like to claim about the pipeline is, is that by canceling it, they are somehow benefiting the environment. Uh, one of the claims they make is that you know, we're going to cancel this pipeline and that that means all that Canadian oil sands oil is going to stay in the ground. Right. And uh, yeah. is that really true? Is that really what's going to happen to the to the oil? I, you know, I, at the 30,000 foot level, I need to always remind everyone that that the environmental left has to posit all of their arguments around a bunch of lies. I would love to have an honest conversation on hundreds of different energy and environmental topics that would be if, there nice, were, yeah. if, if there was a willing participant to be honest and so to answer your question no when sierra club put out their press release celebrating this victory uh, uh that the pipeline was forever closed and never going to happen they mentioned something like and now that dirty oil which again <laughs> just nonsense that dirty oil will stay in canada and you want to say well why are you lying like, just admit it's been coming for decades, but it's been coming through Warren Buffett's railroad cars. And, and, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. You know, kudos to the railroad industry for having those contracts. Right, but, and to but, Berkshire Hathaway for investing in, in the, the railroads, right? Yeah. But, but let's not pretend that this is preventing oil from arriving to Houston. What it's preventing is arriving it from, uh, from arriving uh, uh, more economically, uh, more efficiently, 
uh, more environmentally friendly. Um, so if you cared about the, the energy, the environmental issues they claim, this is a defeat, but they can't say that because it's not about truth. It's not about facts. It's about a political agenda. And to advance their agenda, they have to lie. And they do. They lie so comfortably. Uh, it, it's hard to discuss things because it's, it's, yeah, we, yeah, we can go on for hours. No, I, I mean, it really is extraordinary. <laughs> I, you know, the, the other thing they don't talk about is the fact that a lot of this oil, and it already is, uh, is going to continue just going to the West in uh, another pipeline that takes it to the Pacific coast and gets shipped over to China yeah. to be refined. Does, does, does China have this, the, the same kind of uh, emission standards in its refineries that we have in the United States? Yeah, and that's a tough question to answer because um, the Sierra Club and Greenpeace and National Resources Defense Council, they don't send a lot of activists to China to go bang on <laughs> drums and chain themselves to pipelines. And Okay, so, so in reality, Daniel, uh, the, the cancellation of this Keystone Pipeline, despite all the all the rhetoric from the Biden administration, it's a real net negative, no idea. not just for, for jobs in America, the 11,000 jobs that are lost, but also for the environment, correct? Absolutely. Uh, and now it will be shipped to other countries, particularly China, where they will refine it. And we don't know the environmental record of China because uh, Greta Thunberg and other environmental activists don't go to China and no one documents what's happening in China. So it's a huge <laughs> loss for the environment. Well, well but you. we do know that China is putting on, uh, is adding a new coal plant, what, every single week. So if they're Basically, that yeah. environmentally conscious, you would think uh, they wouldn't be putting that on as much as trying to look at alternatives as well. When we get back from break, we wanna get back on the topic of the Biden administration and this ongoing assault on the energy industry you're listening to in the World Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Crude Association of San Antonio invites you to the 7th Annual Golf Tournament and Sporting Clays Competition to benefit the Alzheimer's Association San Antonio and South Texas Chapter and the Carl McCain Memorial Foundation. It's Thursday and Friday, August 26th and 27th at the JW Marriott San Antonio Hill Country Resort and Spa. For more information and to register for the event, go to casa.dojiggy.com but do it soon as spaces will go quick. That's C-A-S-A dot D-O-J-I-G-G-Y dot com. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. And 
we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Daniel Turner, who is the Executive Director for Powering the Future. And Daniel, we were talking about the Keystone Pipeline and its cancellation. And is that really going to benefit the United States uh, or the world, by the way, because we all live on one planet, um, Mm -hmm. by shipping off uh, what was supposed to come through the Keystone Pipeline? Now it's going to go through another pipeline, uh, as David said earlier, and probably be refined in, in, in China, which we all really believe that China is doing a great job as environmentalists. But I wanna switch gears and talk a little bit about the Biden administration and their push now, their narrative to uh, prevent, or through executive order to prevent the federal lease program that they basically cut oil and gas um, on the first day in office, he signed, of course, an executive order that we're all familiar with. Uh, and then recently, a federal judge, thank goodness, recently ruled that the decision was, in fact, illegal. Do you think the decision will have any real impact on the anti-oil and gas administration? You hear a lot of talk in the media that this is a real blow to, to uh, you know, this administration, but they seem to have a whole lot of agenda to stop oil and gas every you know every day yeah, it seems they like. do absolutely and 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 they have a lot of power right the power of the bureaucracies of the EPA of the Department of, of Energy and particularly the Department of the Interior with control of land access etc um, this is a g- great decision and it is a blow to the Biden administration's agenda and rare for a judge to actually rule, it seems, in favor of energy, probably the first time in, in, that I can remember in a while. Um, but they won't thwart their, their efforts, right? They are determined to, to punish this industry. And they have to punish this industry for a very clear political strategic reason. Um, their goal of making a green utopia is only going to work if they make the fossil fuel industry unpopular. They want oil to be $147 a barrel like it was in the late, what was 2009 or so. They want oil and gas to be expensive. They want your heating bills to be expensive. They want the American people to be angry at the fossil fuel industry so they can come and say, aha, this green alternative, this is what you want now. So they are deliberately doing this because they want the American people to hate the fossil fuel industry. So this is all intentional. Yeah, that's that's a message that's really hard for people to, I think, to really understand. I've written a lot about that myself, and and you know talk about it a lot, uh, Kim and I on our on our show. And uh, I think it's really hard for people to grasp that that these people really are that cynical, mm. and and really uh, have a goal that's so destructive of our economic lives, uh, because you know, I mean, every every dollar you increase a gallon of gasoline my goodness the impact to people's pocketbooks especially the poorest among us is really extraordinary and it's really kind of hard i think for people to to truly wrap their minds around that right yeah yeah and no one wants to think of their government as as uh, targeting them for specific reasons um, uh, but I do think it is the harsh reality. And, and the, the green energy space, I think it's interesting. I think the technology is fascinating. I think it really does have a bright future. I'm not opposed to it. I oppose subsidies for it. Where it works, it should be used. But, but let's be honest, in its current form, 
it cannot compete with fossil fuels. It is not nearly as cost efficient. It's not nearly as effective. Uh, look at the right. rolling brownouts we're seeing in California, New York. Even Texans are getting notes to say, hey, you all need to start like adjusting your thermostats because the grid is struggling to keep up, right? It does not work. So, so how do you make it more palatable? At least you can say, well, it's not as bad as you know, $5 a gallon gas. And this is if we all had electric vehicles. Look, Secretary Granholm said that a long time ago when, when the, uh, uh, the um, Colonial Pipeline shut down. She said, you know, if you were driving electric vehicles, you wouldn't be having this problem right now. They didn't, they didn't mind that, that the fossil fuel industry was, was made to look like the bad guy. And they'll do more of this. Yeah, we have an energy secretary who doesn't understand how electric vehicles are charged. Right? Yeah, exactly. And what's generating the electricity behind that, right? Or yeah, how they're I mean, created. Right, exactly, exactly. It's it's just, it's nuts. It's really sad. Okay. We, we talk about this and, and the Biden administration wanting, literally wanting to increase the cost of fossil fuel energy to make renewables uh, more competitive. And I, I think that's absolutely right, Daniel. We, um, we're, we're also in the midst of this latest, you know, uh, the propaganda campaign related to climate change just continues to escalate over time. And now we're in the midst of this coordinated effort between the, the environmental lobby, uh, most of the news media, our entire entertainment industry to convince us that, that we are in a, not just a, a climate problem, we're in a climate emergency, right? It's, it's an emergency now. Everything's an emergency. Um, is there really data out there that you're seeing that would indicate that we are in the midst of a, an overall global climate emergency that, that requires you know, the, us to destroy our economy by making fossil fuels so expensive? Yeah, it's been a little bit more than three years, I think, since uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's famous um, we have 12 years left before uh, the end of the world if we don't address climate change. So it, you'd have to ask if we are 25% worse than whatever, because <laughs> we're three years into it, right? We're, we're right. 30 years past some UN predictions of the Maldives being underwater. Look, I, I, all the climate predictions are based upon, upon computer modeling and forecasting. And I'm almost 50. I've been looking at these things my entire life. I remember being in high school yep. when some of these reports came out that talked about literally the Maldives were supposed to be underwater by the year 2000. The Maldives, right? You want to say to the UN scientists who are still there doing this data, doing these model and projecting to say, what did you get so wrong 40 years ago that now you have right? This time the, 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 the models are correct. This time it's accurate. Right. Because I've been hearing this, this panic propaganda. The, 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 the uh, uh, earth is about two degrees warmer since about 1850. Yeah. Okay, it is, right? The ocean levels are a few inches higher since around 1850. I'll accept those facts. If that requires us, though, to, to alter our entire lifestyle and our entire economy, then my response is, you first. And that's the biggest problem where, where the, the argument ends, right? John Kerry's not giving up his private jet. Joe Biden just, he didn't, look at us, we're all in our homes doing this over a computer. Joe Biden couldn't have done the G7 this way, right? Why, what was the carbon footprint 
of his meeting with Vladimir Putin. Exactly. Right? How many? Hey, listen, so if, we're going to have to go to another break. Uh, you're listening to In the All Patch Radio show, and we'll be right back. Hi, folks. Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200-kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Daniel Turner, who is the Executive Director for Powering the Future. Daniel, um, let's talk about, I, I think you, you, you had touched on it in the previous uh, segment about the power grids in, in mm-hmm. Texas and California. California, of course, is, has long had these issues with its power grid as it, it, its politicians there have just forced the overloading of their grid with all of this unpredictable and unreliable renewable energy. And I'm like you, I like wind and solar. It has definite utilization in a power mix. Uh, you need to have it obviously for emissions purposes, but, but over-reliance on it is just, just kind of insane. And we see that happening with brownouts in California. And of course this year we have unfortunately uh, and very troublingly seen it popping up repeatedly in Texas now where we have, I mean, 30% of our capacity on our grid in Texas is wind power today. And that's, that's uh, really pretty extraordinary. Uh, and so when, when we do have these hot days and these very cold days, ERCOT, our grid manager, their models, if we're talking about computer models, it tells them they're going to get X megawatts of power from wind and the wind stops blowing and they only get Y, right? And so we have these, these issues. Kind of talk about, you know, what is driving that? Is there any way that you can see that we can kind of call a stop to all of this propagation of, of unpredictable renewable sources on our grids until we get all of this stuff rebalanced and figured out? Yeah, and, and the lack of education in this is, is, is really what the left uses most of all, because if you study the renewable space, and, and as we agreed, we, we think there are interesting and good technologies where used accurate, uh, appropriately, but if you study the technology, you realize it cannot compete at the level of which we are accustomed right now in America. Um, unless there are major sacrifices. And by major sacrifices, I mean the state of Texas just not having air conditioning in their homes, right? Uh, right. Pe- people need to be educated to that level to say, fine, we're going to go green in America. Joe Biden says 100% by the year 2030, our electric grid. Well, not only how much is it going to cost or how much land will have to be confiscated. I mean, we're talking literally tens of millions of acres of land of wind and solar, a lot bigger than the footprint of the Keystone Pipeline, of tens of millions of acres of land of wind farms and solar farms, but does it actually work? And reliability is the biggest concern of, of, of these technologies. I am the fossil fuels advocate par excellence. I love fossil fuels. I, am, I support the industry. I celebrate the industry. But I will be the first to say there are imperfections in it. 
But we oh, don't sure. live in a perfect world, right? We don't live in some platonic utopia, right? We live in reality and reality says there are emissions, right? And there are uh, drawbacks to fossil fuels, but renewables have drawbacks too. And let's discuss them and let's match them up side by side. And then we can have a fair and honest debate. But you'll well, notice the environmental uh, and, and, left won't do that. Yeah, and, and that's right. They won't do that. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's one of my great frustrations. You know, when we talk about the, the big blackouts we had in February mm. in Texas, uh, the news media in this state just immediately knee-jerked to this narrative that it was all the fault of natural gas. Yeah. When reality is natural gas lost about 35% of its capacity and was the only thing that kept the grid from collapsing entirely. Uh, meanwhile, during the depths of that freeze event, over 90% of the wind turbines were frozen up in West Texas. I mean, we were getting virtually nothing out of wind for two solid days. Yeah. And you cannot get anyone in the wind industry to actually acknowledge that fact. Yeah. The, funniest, yeah. the funniest thing that happened in the legislative session was, was that a representative of the wind industry sat there and testified in a joint hearing of the legislature and, and said that wind power performed as expected during the freeze event. Well, <laughs> that means they yeah. expect to be worthless when we need yeah. it the most. I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it, it, it's infuriating. And you look at California, <laughs> which is, has, has been going through this now for about a decade, these rolling blackouts. We've seen right. the Dodgers games go offline because the stadium loses power uh, and during summer nights, et cetera. But, but the, the really frustrating thing, and it kind of goes to the heart of why I started Power of the Future, when the governor has to make these strategic uh, 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 um, shutting down of neighborhoods to preserve the power grid, what neighborhoods get their electricity turned off, right? I've never seen a right. Kardashian say us here in Malibu, right? <laughs> Silicon, word, yeah. yeah, Silicon Valley's never turned off. Hollywood Hills has never turned off. Yeah. But just regular powerless average Joes in, in towns we don't know of, they're the ones who are told, hey, sorry, folks, you're going to lose power for the next couple of hours. And that is the evil of when government starts doing these things because it's all political politically driven, right? Your problems in Texas and the problems in California and in New Mexico, as well as experiencing them, these are political problems. They are totally predictable, but they're also totally reversible. Texas can be back at 100% reliable power if there was the political will to do so. Yeah. I don't know if there is. Yeah, and another one of the government evils, you know, in this, this latest uh, uh, hiccup that we had on the grid last week, the week before last, um, thousands of uh, residential homeowners complained that their thermostats were mysteriously turned off up remotely. And yeah. it turned out that some of them had actually signed up for power plans that would allow their, their power provider to do that, but others hadn't. Yeah. Um, so is it that kind of a, just another insidious effort of the government to start controlling, uh, you know, even our thermostats, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and for, for good or for ill, this is a, 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 a part of society we have placed under government control, right? Government does control our utilities, right? And we can right. have libertarians out there who say no one should be in charge. So, but right now, reality says that this is the role of government and at their very basic core role, they, they are failing, right? They are, they are failing us every day. And, and boy, and now you wanna be in charge of a larger function by saying, let's go green, right? Trillions of dollars, do we know who's, gonna make all this money right someone's gonna we wow we'll create 10 million jobs ah, obama said we were gonna do that too <laughs> but someone is going to profit 
Some, some yep. people, many people are going to make a lot of money in the Biden green agenda. And we have to question if it's going to make the quality of life of Americans better, more efficient. Uh, Texas doesn't prove that. California doesn't prove that. New Mexico doesn't prove it. But we're going to do it nationwide. So, so Daniel, let's, uh, this has been a great discussion. I really appreciate it. I could do this Thank all you. day. Um, I want to be sure you get an opportunity to talk about your, your, your address of your, your group, your website, how people can support your efforts, et cetera. Thank you. Yeah, it's powerthefuture.com. People can reach me, Daniel, at powerthefuture.com. We have state directors in a couple of, of key locations. We're actually looking to hire more state directors this year. And, and this is what we do. We put out a lot of facts. We put them out very, very plainly, very bluntly, very forcibly. We push back against these radical environmental groups uh, and the billionaires who fund them, uh, try to expose them as much as possible. Um, and then our elected officials hold them accountable and, and try to give them some cover and some facts. Look, the Republican House caucus just a couple hours ago said they were starting a new caucus to discuss climate change. I tweeted at them and said, I would love to be part of your climate change caucus because I don't know who's going to be telling you some things, <laughs> but there's another side of that story y'all need to be aware of. And I would like to be part of that discussion. So well, thank any you. people out there, I'd love to have them join us. So thank you. Great. Well, appreciate it, man. Thank you for being with us. And Anytime. that's going to conclude this episode of In the Oil Patch radio program. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.